welcome to the show unburden your health today it seems like everyone we know is struggling with daytime fatigue but how do we know if this feeling of being tired is actually due to bad sleep hygiene or is it really a sleep disorder if you feel tired or unrefreshed after waking up even though you've had a full night of sleep most likely it may be due to a sleep disorder Sleep apnea is one of the common sleep disorders which is a potentially sleeping serious sleeping disorder when your breathing stops and starts repeatedly in your sleep To throw more light into this I have invited a highly esteemed speaker he is Dr Vikas Agarwal who is an esteemed robotic sleep apnea surgeon he has been the past president of the Indian Association of Surgeons for Sleep Apnea and is presently the chairman of the committee for sleep disorders at the Indian Academy of Otolaryngology and Head Neck Surgery he is the director at the specialty ENT hospital at Kandivli and is also visiting ENT faculty at the Seven Hills Hospital in today's podcast show dr vikas agarwal will discuss the methods of diagnosing and treating sleep apnea both in adults as well as children vikas welcome to the show thank you for taking time to be with us today thank you sir thank you for inviting me here it's a privilege because you know actually you know i was just talking to somebody the other day and i told them that i have a podcast coming up this weekend where i'm going to be speaking to a renowned surgeon and he said you know what even i have sleep apnea and i can't uh, sleep without a machine and it came as a surprise i have known this person for more than 25 years but i did not know he had sleep apnea i have also seen sleep you know disorders in my mother i have seen her you know heard her snoring uh, you know i have known of you know uh, more than 50 years of my life and during the entire 50 years i have you know heard her snoring and towards the latter part of her life i know she used to use uh the cpap or the bipap and we'll discuss that later i also have a close cousin who is grossly obese he's a smoker he's an alcoholic and his wife tells me he needs that machine to go to sleep every day so what i'm trying to say is that i think sleep apnea perhaps is much more common than we you know actually give it credit for being there and i think uh, perhaps it's underdiagnosed but you know for those who are not really aware of the condition maybe you could start by you know explaining what really is sleep apnea and you know how prevalent is it, is it in the country uh, you know and what are the different types of sleep apnea so over to you dr vikas so sir as you rightly said uh, sleep apnea is a very very common condition and it's really underdiagnosed we all know that every house has a snorer snoring is pretty common and uh, as we know more than 40% of adult males in their 40s or above actually do snore but even sleep apnea which is a pause in breathing which is a stoppage of breath during sleep when the person is snoring if there's a stoppage of more than 10 second we call it an complete stoppage is called an apnea and partial stoppage is called a hypopnea even that is okay. pretty common and around 13% of indian population has got sleep apnea this was a all in institute of medical sciences study of 2009 and after that many more studies have come out and it's a very very common condition so you said 13% of yes, adult indian males? population yes indian population so males indian population no, males, males are females. actually more prone than the females right right 
so it's is a, there any reason why uh, males are more prone i mean is is there a underlying you know some anatomical reason yes uh, why males yes. are more prone yes the palate of uh, males uh, is a little longer than females uh, the length of the palate is a little more that's why the palate collapses more and therefore it's more common males however lot of females as you rightly said your mother also was suffering from sleep apnea lot of females also suffer and just uh, goes without a diagnosis because it's very lately it has come into our you know minds to look for sleep apnea though in the developed countries before getting a license to drive you have to undergo a sleep test but in our country it's not really recognized oh, it's really? the commonest cause of vehicular accidents because the person is sleeping on the wheels so so it's not only dangerous for yourself it's dangerous for others also if you have got sleep apnea dr vikas i had heard that sleep apnea is a subset of a much larger condition called as sleep disordered breathing or sdb maybe you can throw some light on that yes so sleep apnea is in the middle of the spectrum of sdb which is sleep disorder breathing so before sleep apnea if some person does not have a complete stoppage or, or a partial stoppage of breath he still can be tired when while getting up in the morning that's called upper airway resistance syndrome which is the earliest suppose if a young man like 18 20 has a deviated septum or a blocked nose he will not have apnea or hypopnea he can still have a, a proper amount of air coming in without desaturation so we cannot call it obstructive sleep apnea but still he is tired in the morning his snoring and there that part is called upper airway resistance syndrome because he has got resistance in his airway which is not letting him you know get up fresh in the morning and he suffers from almost all the symptoms of obstructive sleep apnea without getting a proper apnea or hypopnea or desaturation which is the hallmark and in the higher part of the spectrum uh, when somebody is really obese even when he is awake even when he is not sleep he is still having you know decreased oxygenation and increased carbon dioxide retention we call it obesity hypoventilation syndrome so these are technical terms but we can understand that obstructive sleep apnea is the middle part the most visible part and on the lower spectrum is upper airway resistance syndrome which is again very very common and on the upper spectrum in really obese people is called obesity hypoventilation syndrome when they are actually not able to breathe well so i'm just trying to maybe re recalibrate this thinking that you start with maybe upper airway resistance then you go to hypopnea and then you go to apnea would that be the spectrum generally, generally yes generally yes okay okay and you mentioned you know about snoring uh does everybody who snore you know should they be suspected of having sleep apnea so as i said sir a snorer is there in every house but every snorer may not be having obstructive sleep apnea so what are the symptoms when you should suspect that a snorer could have sleep apnea so there's a very simple questionnaire called stop bang questionnaire s t o p b a n g stop bang this is very easy to remember if somebody is snoring very loudly when some you can hear the snoring later so s stands for snoring t stands for tiredness we discussed that the person is waking up tired o is observed apnea if somebody has seen that the person while snoring actually chokes and then wakes up and then again starts snoring that's observed apnea p is for blood pressure if somebody is also having a blood pressure then bang bmi more than 35 somebody is obese a for um, you know age if the age is more than 50 45 50 
n is for neck circumference and g for gender male gender is more so out of these eight questions if the probability if the uh, if three or more than three is positive if you can tick more than three to some person then the probability of having sleep apnea is much much more and those set of patients who are having more than three upon eight of this top bank questionnaire then they should be screened for obstructive sleep apnea. Now, 13% of the adult population in India, that's a huge number. I mean, considering, you know, India is such a large, uh, populous country. Uh, so, do you think it is currently grossly underdiagnosed? Grossly, sir. Grossly is not the word. It is actually absolutely underdiagnosed because people do not believe it's a disease. I mean, they do not. Snoring, oh, that's common. Uh, everybody right. sleeps in the afternoon. That's fine. Being sleepy is right. not a disease. And is there a categorization of, you know, snoring versus loud snoring? I was reading somewhere that, you know, if somebody does snoring or somebody's loud snoring, you know, it's very subjective. You know, for me, even a simple snoring could be loud. So, is there a way to categorize snoring? So, honestly, sir, there are a lot of ways people have tried tried to categorize. But the intensity of sound actually uh, does not, uh, you know, is not very, very important. The pauses which happen okay. during snoring, they are more, more important. So, if somebody is actually stopping to breathe, that is more important. Somebody can have a loud sound, but a continuous right. snoring, and he may not be having sleep apnea. But somebody who is not a very loud snorer, but is stops to breathe, that is more important, actually. So, a right. very simple thing is that you can so observe the person during, you know, 2, 2, PA, 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the night and see whether in the deep sleep his continuously breathing or not. If he stops breathing, that's the uh, most important thing to watch for. So, I guess if somebody is not having a rhythmic breathing, somebody is having Correct. a start and stop, start and stop, Correct. that is more significant to be That is up. more significant. And are there any types of sleep apnea? Uh, you know, we you know, we, we read recently about OSA when Mr. Bappi Larry passed away. So, I guess this has also become a little more popular. So, maybe if you could throw more light on if there are any types of sleep apnea. So, there are basically two types of sleep apnea, obstructive and central. Central is when the brain does not send signals for you to breathe, which is not very common. It is seen in extremely elderly people or people with some syndromic uh, problems or more of medical issues. 90-95% uh, is obstructive sleep apnea, which is happening because of obstruction in the upper airway. And this is the most common subset that we need to look for. And this is correctable. This is more treatable because the brain physiology, if it is not working well, it's not generally amenable to correction. And it's not common also. But the obstructive sleep apnea is much, much, much more common than the central sleep apnea. And as I said, the subsets of that uh, sleep disorder breathing, the, the obesity hypoventilation syndrome on one side and upper airway resistance syndrome, that's very, very, very common. Uh, UARS is extremely common. I mean, if I if I have to perform a study, it would be possibly 40 to 50 percent of the population would have some kind of uh, upper airway resistance. That's uh, even in children they are uh, who are having you know allergic rhinitis, um, enlarged turbinates, enlarged adenoids, some kind of deviated septum, which is there in 50 percent of the population. Some kind of upper airway resistance is very very common. And you mentioned that you know such since a large percentage of the population has a deviated nasal septum uh, is that also a condition which is underdiagnosed which i believe can be very easily corrected right? it's a very simple surgery to correct uh, a deviated septum you're absolutely dot on the point sir because people uh, present to the doctors with nasal blockage 
say rhinitis sardi and uh, right. sneezing and some kind of headache and everything is you know being treated as common cold so right, right. there was a theme that we worked on recently uh, for allergic rhinitis at the uncommon cold what is the uncommon cold so okay. we have to decide between a structural problem an allergic problem and an infective problem absolutely so if it is a structural problem lifelong these people keep on getting treated with antibiotics antihistamines nose drops sprays and what not nothing helps because it's a structural problem if there's a structural right. problem if there's a blockage on the highway you have to simply correct it and as you said it's a 20 minute surgery right. or half an hour surgery at the most it's simple surgery any ent surgeon can do it so right. structural problems have to be corrected and that solves a lot of problems in my sleep apnea surgery 90% of the patients have you know a problem with the nose and it starts from there because if the nose is blocked they start breathing through the mouth once you start breathing from mouth the, your tongue starts falling back and that leads to right. a complete sleep apnea and then you get a habit of mouth breathing which could be corrected in your early adulthood or even in childhood so that's a very very important sure. thing sure sure how how common is or how contributing is enlarged adenoids or enlarged tonsils in children and does that also i mean do, do you see that that could be the precursor to sleep apnea you know when children have these conditions so is sleep apnea seen largely in adults or even children can manifest this so in children we mostly see upper airway resistance syndrome so when you do the sleep okay. study not many children will be suffering from actual obstructive sleep apnea even the criteria sure. for obstructive sleep apnea in children are you know different from adults i'll not go into the depth of it but right. because they are able to still struggle and breathe in so they do not actually suffer from apnea or hypopnea but they have a very severe upper airway resistance because of enlarged right. adenoids and tonsils and if you do not you know act in time either you know uh, either medically or surgically then they develop right. a habit of mouth breathing and then then the upper uh, you know maxilla comes out the mandible goes inside the palate goes up and they completely have a different this kind of breathing which right. leads to obstructive sleep apnea severe obstructive sleep apnea in the adulthood so we have to catch okay. children when they are young and treat it okay okay so this is a little bit of a, a maybe a trick question you know and since you are an ent surgeon who deals with all types so if i am a parent and i have a child who's got enlarged adenoids or enlarged tonsils and i have seen my child breathing through the mouth uh, do i get surgery done for adenoids and tonsils and risk the you know the role of tonsils or or adenoids as preventing infections versus at a later stage you know child might have that peculiar facial presentation or could develop sleep apnea so how do you decide that should a child actually be treated for the adenoid surgery or tonsillectomy or it's okay to wait and you know i'm just asking because you will do both you will treat the adenoids also you will also treat the sleep apnea so in how do you decide this so it's a very 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 important question sir in fact the myth that enlarged tonsils and adenoids are contributing to immunity itself is a myth because they are like if you say they are like watchmen of your building suppose if the watchman of right. your building is so obese that he is obstructing your own way to enter your own house what what do you do correct you trim him to size that is the correct thing you may not remove him completely you trim him to size so that right. he is doing his job as well and he lets you inside as well so 
over a period of time in the last say 30 40 years the concept has gone from you know incomplete adenoidectomy and a complete tonsillectomy to a complete adenoidectomy and incomplete tonsillectomy so we okay. let the let the tonsils remain to the extent that they are required that's called intracapsular tonsillectomy so with plasma okay. we shave off the tonsil which is extra which is obstructing the airway but we leave right. behind a little part of the tonsil which is actually required for immunity function and adenoids because they are in the nasopharynx and even a little growth obstructs the airway we remove the adenoids completely because right. if we if the airway is obstructed the child is prone to getting more infections more antibiotics not less infections and less antibiotics true, true, so true. so uh, we all read in our mbbs days those things have changed in the last 15 to 20 years drastically no very well explained i think i love the way you explained first that if if you have you know an obstruction you cannot treat it like an infection if you have an allergy you have to treat that you can't treat everything like an infection or an allergy because if an obstruction needs to be either completely or partially removed unless you do that i think that will always remain so i think very very well explained to this we briefly touched upon the fact that you know uh, most of the people who have sleep apnea wake up feeling tired what would be you know when people come to you what are the ways in which you pick up that you know this person must be having sleep apnea one is of course snoring you mentioned that you know if the if the partner of the person who is sleeping in the same room you know has been able to pick up that yeah this person snores at night or as you said this person you know gasps for breath or has Correct. suddenly choking sensation that only somebody else in the room will be able to pick up uh tiredness of course you mentioned that i you know you have a good sleep but still you wake up feeling tired uh, what are the other symptoms or signs uh, you know that you know people should be aware of that they should start thinking oh maybe i do have sleep apnea so i talked about the eight uh, symptoms and signs that uh, stop bank questionnaire that is okay okay predictive okay, okay. so that's yeah that is predictive okay. of obstructive sleep apnea when we examine as a ent surgeon when i examine the patient if i see right. large tonsils you know a la- long palate if i see a deviated septum crooked nose lot of allergies and the patients you you will see some dark circles around the eyes and right. and and one thing sir i would like to stress that if person is a smoker why he is smoking because he is sleepy so he wants to get some nicotine to remain you know awake right, that's the right, reason right, of him right. using so we cannot just say that oh you stop smoking we have to find out why he is actually sleepy and why he has to use uh, you know nicotine in order to remain awake so these are the things we examine uh, on the physical examination and then obviously we subject the patient to a sleep study to figure out the desaturation and apneas hypopneas etc how do you make people aware uh, that you know there should be there is a condition like sleep apnea how do we create that awareness as you said that 13% of the population possibly is suffering and this was a study done almost uh, 12 13 years ago i'm i'm sure the incidence would have gone up significantly now so what's the way in which you you know as the president of your association what are the steps that you are taking to you know make people aware that they could be suffering from sleep apnea so we have tried our bit though i am i was the president of the surgical association so my main aim was to train more and more ent surgeons to perform surgery to eradicate the disease but obviously right. uh, we have worked with world sleep society uh, march 18th is actually next world sleep day so we have different okay. slogans for different years and we try to create awareness by you know reaching out to people by different uh, forum i think this is one of the best forums that <laughs> i would be doing the job on 
and right. uh, i think we alone cannot do anything it's the whole medical fraternity that has to arise to the occasion because the family physicians they are the people to actually treat uh, uh, you know train the uh, general public because that they are the point of first contact when a person comes to them with uh, fatigue and they f- see that the p- person has got a increased blood pressure or diabetes and they have to take the sleep history uh, they have to take the history of snoring sure. which is actually missing from the curriculum right away right now we need to in- improve right. on that and then the md physicians because they see a lot of heart disease and they see a lot of uh, you know people go to the doctor thinking that they have a breathing problem so they go to a chest right, physician right. they have to actually also uh, participate in this so so vikas uh, like you have specialized in sleep as uh, you know area of specialization after having done your ent are there many other doctors like this who specialize in sleep disorders uh in ent i would say in every indian city we have been able to stimulate a few ent surgeons to at least do sleep study and sleep endoscopy but unfortunately okay. uh, not many ent surgeons are doing actively surgery for sleep apnea okay no surgery is performed by almost every ent surgeon we need to improve on them to perform a little more aggressive nose surgery and to learn more of doing the basic sleep apnea surgery if not the tongue based surgery at least the palate surgery our association right. is around 6 uh, 7 years old and uh, my journey into sleep apnea is around 12 years so i think uh, we have done a bit but we need to do still a lot more are there any uh, specific tests that you do uh, i know there are you know in the us i know there are sleep labs i don't know how many sleep labs are, are present in india so maybe you could throw some light that you know what are the ways in which somebody who is suspected of sleep apnea can be diagnosed in our country today okay so that's called polysomnography the sleep study overnight is called polysomnography so in the sleep lab you perform level 1 polysomnography which is the best you put a lot of you know wires here and there which take you know uh, which analyze all kind of sleep disorders honestly speaking all kind of sleep disorders are not that common and for sleep apnea you can just do a portable you know home sleep study which is called level 3 in our country it, it is uh, it can be done at patients home and it's costing say 2 to 3000 rupees it's not very expensive and there are a lot of companies which provide this service at home of the patient also so you can just go online book a sleep study at home they will come to your home put the machine and in the morning take away the machine and a basic study is good enough to diagnose obstructive sleep apnea especially for people who are having severe obstructive sleep apnea the the very early ones the upper airway resistance syndrome obviously cannot be picked up but i would say that to start with the severe sleep apnea patients who are at risk of dying will all be picked up from this simple sleep study which can be done at home once we diagnose obstructive sleep apnea then there are two ways of treating one is by cpap one is by surgery so if we have to diagnose where is the problem and operate on it then we perform drug induced sleep endoscopy so we we make the patient go off to sleep in a endoscopy suite or operating room with medicines and then we put a tiny camera through the nose and figure out what is happening in the throat what what part of the anatomy is collapsing so this is on the surgical side for the medical side if you have to give a cpap machine just a simple sleep study followed by cpap titration is good enough which can be done at patient's home so people need not go surgery uh, you know for surgery every time 
they can try the CPAP first. If it works on them, well and good. If it does not work and they have sleep apnea, they have disturbed sleep, then they can approach uh, an ENT surgeon for sleep surgery. Okay. So let me just try and sort of, you know, put this together. First is the suspicion that you mentioned the various signs and symptoms. Uh, second is you mentioned the questionnaire that you mentioned, the stop bank questionnaire that is there. Uh, then you come and meet the ENT specialist or the sleep specialist uh, who will do an examination, you know, look at the signs and symptoms. Uh, then you said there is a level 3 sleep study which can be done in your house or if needed, then a level 1 sleep study which is in a actual sleep lab as you called it, right? Correct. Would this be the various steps that people Absolutely can use to yes. diagnose? Absolutely, yes. And you briefly touched upon this but not everybody may be aware. Uh, you mentioned CPAP. I guess, you know, it's for doctors, it becomes a very common, you know, to use these terminologies. But for the uninitiated, maybe you could just explain what exactly is this CPAP. Right. So, what is obstructive sleep apnea? It is obstruction of the upper airway during sleep. So, right. some part of the anatomy like soft palate, tongue is actually collapsing. So, to keep it uh, open, CPAP is continuous positive airway pressure. So, it's a device which is reverse of a vacuum cleaner. So, it will push air into the nose rather than sucking it. It will push air. It's the reverse of a vacuum cleaner. I'm talking in simple terms so that people understand what it does. It will push air into the nose so that when the air goes through the nose into the soft palate, it will keep it open and it will not let it collapse. So, however simple it seems, it's not very easy to use and therefore, People buy it, they use it, but they are all, many people cannot, you know, use it. For them, we have to figure out where is the problem. But those who can use it, those who are comfortable with it, it's a lifesaver. And I have seen my mother go through this, uh, as I mentioned earlier also that, and very honestly, you are very correct on this, that it's not a very easy device. I know you have to put this big mask and tie it around your face correct. and is connected to one machine that pushes airways cyclically. Uh, so, but I've seen my cousin who uses it, he can't sleep without it. In fact, it's the only way he can sleep, uh, pushing air through the blocked airways. Uh, is there a difference between something called as CPAP and there is something called as BiPAP? Can you maybe just throw some light on that as well? Correct. So, continuous positive airway pressure will keep on giving a continuous flow of air throughout right. inspiration and expiration. That means taking breath in and leaving breath out. Right. So, there is something called APAP, automatic, you know, uh, PAP, positive air pressure. Positive air pressure. So, automatic right. will gaze how much pressure is required and it will change the pressure automatically. Then there is something called okay. BiPAP, which is which will give a different uh, pressure on inspiration and a different pressure on expiration. Because when we okay. inhale air, the pressure requirement is different than the when we exhale air. So, right. these are all technical things which will be titrated by the respiratory physician. When a person is undergoing a CPAP titration, then it is right. decided which machine is best for him. And it is the, uh, you know, either the technician or the respiratory physician's job to decide what kind of a pressure requirement a person has. And, uh, you know, on that recommend the different type of machines. And there are different okay. protocols. I will not, I'm not going to the details of that. It's a very, very technical thing for them to do. So, um, can we say that commonly people will start on a CPAP and then move on to a BiPAP or it depends on the individual to individual? 
No, it depends on the requirement of the person. If somebody has a very high pressure requirement on CPAP, he will never right. be able to tolerate a CPAP. Then he has okay. to be given a BiPAP. If somebody okay. uh, that way, that's why I'm saying that it is a very sure. technical thing that the respiratory physician or the technician will have to decide depending on the titration readings. But the good thing is that now all these equipments are available in India very easily, right? Yes, unfortunately, they are still very costly. Why should a simple okay. motor cost some 60,000, 70,000 rupees or 30, 40,000 okay. rupees? So we still right. need to, you know, make those things, make in India. Uh, currently, okay. there are some Chinese companies uh, supplying it for, say, 20,000 rupees, 20,000, 22,000 okay. rupees. But the market okay. is still, you know, uh, overpriced. It has to correct. Okay. And it should be, you know, even the sleep surgeries are currently very high priced because very, very few people do it. Uh, it sure. should be actually done in medical colleges. We are trying our best okay. to train the medical college, uh, you know, new the uh, students and yeah, faculty. We are trying to teach them. So you mentioned about surgery. I mean, which are the conditions? Where do you think that surgery is really required? And, you know, uh, so you, 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 you know, filter out the people who can be managed on the CPAP or BiPAP. And then probably some who need surgery will need to be decided. So are there any sort of criteria in which you define where surgery is definitely required? And then... What are the various types of surgery that are performed? So basically, uh, the current protocol across the world is to first try CPAP. If the person is happy with the CPAP and can use it, then the person right. is left to live with the CPAP. And if he cannot, then he is uh, you know, brought in for surgery, uh, evaluation for sure. surgery. However, right. gradually the world is moving to the situation where if it is a young patient, if somebody has got right. a deviated septum, it's a half an hour surgery. Why should this patient use a CPAP for his life? He should be actually Correct. operated first. Similarly, if somebody has got very large tonsils, a very large soft palate, which can be, you know, uh, trimmed in a daycare surgery or one or two days of hospitalization and one or two weeks of recuperation. So young patients, we always recommend to evaluate for surgical cure first. Old patients... Okay. And patients who have got some kind of heart disease or risk factor for surgery, anesthesia, we recommend them to first try CPAP as the first thing. But as okay. the current uh, protocol in the world, everybody is always given an option of a CPAP because that's absolutely non-invasive. And if somebody can use it, it's absolutely right. fine for them to use it. Now coming to what kind of surgeries can be performed? Right. Uh, nose, soft palate tongue, epiglottis, there are situations where actually uh, CPAP does not work. Like if there's an epiglottic collapse, CPAP will right. not be able to work. If there's a tongue-based collapse, uh, CPAP does not work. If a nose right. is grossly blocked, CPAP does not work. So CPAP works best on the soft palate. Rest of the things, surgery have to be performed. And see, uh, okay. the palate is the commonest. 75 to 80% of patients have a palate collapse. Therefore, CPAP sure. is you know commonly used. I, I read about a surgery which is a short form called UP3 or UPPP. Uh, you know, maybe you could, I think, is that the most common? You know, That was the a, first it's surgery. A, it's a very large name even for me. So I am just taking the liberty of asking you to maybe explain that in yes. more detail. Yeah, so the first surgery which was performed for obstructive sleep apnea or snoring was uvulo paleto pharyngoplasty. UPPP. Right. Uvulo, right. that means uvula. That little right. thing that you see hanging down your throat. Correct. Correct. Paleto, the side part of that on which the tonsils are hanging. Right. Pharyngo, that means the whole pharyngeal tube, plasty. So right. we perform a 
you know, plastic surgery of the whole pharynx, uvula and the okay. soft palate. That's called right. uvulopalatopharyngoplasty. So this was uh, almost 40, 50 years back, this was uh, performed. Uh, okay. In early 80s, I think 81, it was performed. But it has got uh, undergone a lot of modifications, as is the, uh, you know, fate of all the surgical procedures. When they start, right. they start with one simple thing and then they undergo a lot of modifications. So with the drug-induced sleep endoscopy, we have understood what all things can happen during sleep. And therefore, right. we have modified the standard UP3 surgery, which did not have a very high success rate to various okay. kind of pharyngoplasty. There are almost 32 types of procedures. Oh, and wow. depending, <laughs> so obviously every surgeon has a procedure named after him. Right. So, so right, we, right. we, we perform the modification, which is best suited for that anatomy and that patient. And okay. uh, uh, the results have improved drastically uh, since uh, the early days of UP3 surgery. How many of these surgeries would you be performing? I mean, say on a monthly basis, so maybe pre-COVID days? Yes, uh, the, during COVID, obviously these surgeries were uh, reduced to minimum. In fact, there were no routine work right. they were doing. And last one month, I would have done around seven, eight. So generally, seven to eight surgeries uh, of multi-level surgeries, I have been performing pre-COVID days and again restarted now. You mentioned in between, you know, that death as one of the outcomes of sleep apnea. Uh, you know, and people perhaps may not even correlate that, you know, that just because I'm snoring, uh, you know, I can even die because of that. Uh, maybe you could just throw some light that what happens to people who probably are undiagnosed or, you know, don't get treated for this, what could be the simpler com complications or consequences and what could be the very severe consequences of untreated sleep apnea? So the most common sequelae is bad quality of life. Every night when you are sleeping, right. you are getting up every few minutes in your sleep. You are not getting to have the depth of the sleep and the freshness that comes along with it. Life itself is a burden. You right. get up in the morning, you are shouting on your wife or the wife is shouting on the husband and then you are get up, in, you know, stuck in the traffic and honking and you are irritated. The, in the office, you are shouting on your subordinates and when you come back home, right. you just feel like, you know, crashing. So that is the minimum complication that sleep apnea gives. Then you develop gradually sure. diabetes, blood pressure and the more sinister ones like heart attacks, sudden deaths. Okay. So the most common time that we have heard, heard of a person having heart attack or sudden death is what? In your, uh, you know, if you remember, try to recollect, it's late night, early morning or afternoon or evening right. or what What time? Late night, early. Mostly it's late right. nights. Because yeah. that's the time when the person is actually sleeping into the deep sleep. And that's when right. he gets the maximum apneas happening. Okay. So, Okay. And then you can have uh, epilepsy, seizures, CVA, cerebrovascular accident, anything, right. everything is related to sleep apnea actually uh, by the recent studies. This is the most common, uh, the, the biggest, uh, say, epidemic the world is going through. And because we have all sure. uh, gone to, you know, uh, sitting on our place and working rather than moving, so the uh, sedentary lifestyle, a lot of uh, calories intake, junk food, right. everything is contributing to obstructive sleep apnea. Well, this is a very interesting point you raised that, you know, most of the cardiac arrests that happen, happen late night, early morning, which is probably the time, as you mentioned, coinciding with, you know, severe sleep apnea and how that probably triggers 
you know heart event so no that's a great uh, insight from you thank you dr vikas for sharing so it's like somebody is actually uh, you know throttling you choking, choking you at, at that, that time yeah. you're in your deep sleep and you're choking Correct. you're suddenly out of your breath and if the brain right. forgets to right. wake you up at that point of time then you're gone how many sleep labs do we have in our country today and is there a need for setting up more sleep labs in india so honestly sir i do not have a official statistic uh, to say how many sleep labs are there but certainly right. they are absolutely minuscule in numbers and as okay. i said to set up sleep labs uh, may be a little costly affair but having those right. uh, portable sleep study the machine would not cost cost more than 80 90000 rupees recurrent cost is hardly okay. 3 okay. to 400 rupees per test of that battery and the wires okay. uh, the cannulas so that is something that we need to actually um, you know improve upon and every person right. who is who has to be screened should be at least uh, provided with that uh, at home sleep study so that we at least screen sure. out the severe sleep apneics and treat them so i think government can take a step to provide it in every medical college uh, that is the least one no, i think i think i have i have taken a big cue from this today dr vikas that maybe as a diagnostic company we can you know provide this as part of our diagnostic armamentarium to patients more easily make sleep studies at home become more accessible i think holter for cardiac conditions has become more accessible i think if holter can become i'm sure portable sleep studies Absolutely. can also become more Absolutely. accessible so i'll I'll definitely make it a point to look at that. No, thank you for sharing that with us. Is it by coincidence that because you are an ENT surgeon, you are also a good singer? <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to ask. <laughs> Possibly, yes, sir. I took up ENT because I was interested in the faculty of uh, voice and ear. So I possibly that is the reason I took it. <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, definitely. Right. My understanding of uh, no, you are no. I think there are. Yeah, I think your two qualities that shine through. Uh, one is, of course, you know, your very accomplished surgical skills, or as a clinician, and second, of course, we all know you, people who know you well, as a very, very accomplished singer. But I wanted to end this podcast with one personal question. You know, this whole approach of me wanting to do this podcast with people like yourself is to make aware of conditions that perhaps people need to be made aware so that. we have this huge burden on our society of health you know and what we can do is by sharing this with people is to make them aware and to unburden this huge burden on on our healthcare on our healthcare system on our society is there anything you are doing personally for yourself that you want to unburden your own health sometimes i know singing is a great hobby it's probably a great stress buster listening to good music is also probably there but is there anything specific that you are doing because i have seen you for last so many years you have not aged your voice is just getting better you look just the same that i saw you maybe 25 years ago so what is it that you are doing to keep yourself healthy and fit and unburdening your own health so let me split this question into two part what we can do for general people like this podcast of yours if it helps to diagnose few hundred people uh, their upper airway resistance syndrome sleep apnea and prevent right. them from getting a heart attack see a uh, one person having a heart issue the whole family is shattered because that happens during the age of what late 40s early 50s that is the time when a person is most important for the family the kids are to be married right. or they are to be settled and that that point if somebody develops a heart disease so 
unburdening people's health just by diagnosing their sleep condition which they are unaware of will be a great way so this is part 1 we should all do our bit right now for myself basically the second part of unburdening is that we actually take a lot of stress of lot of things not happening according to our wishes in my life there are so many things that i wanted to do have got stuck into some problem some litigation so the only way to unburden my health is to remain emotionally fit be happy because if we worry too much right. then our aging is going to be fast so whatever we do Correct. we have to understand that everybody who has uh, you know born on this earth has to go one day and we have a limited time on this uh, planet and we have to remain happy and just share some happiness with others so like you said music is my right. stress buster and it also helps me give happiness to say 10 20 people who listen to me <laughs> and in my small <laughs> gatherings so that is definitely so maybe um, yes uh, possibly i have to devote a little more time to music and uh, that right. will be possibly my way of unburdening my own health no well, thank you so much uh, dr vikas for spending time today and this has truly been insightful uh, you know i'm sure a lot of people will benefit thank you again for coming most welcome sir thank, thank you, you so for much. inviting me and it's a privilege and i hope uh, with this podcast some people will at least get a you know new lease of life just by diagnosing their problem thank you thank you again thank you thank you sir and that's a wrap for our episode today thank you so much for listening new episodes are out every alternate tuesday if you like this episode don't forget to subscribe to our show you can listen to our show on all major podcasting platforms like google podcast apple podcast and wherever you listen to your podcast form if you are an apple or an ios user you can share your ratings and reviews on the apple podcast app if you have any questions related to health or would like to share your feedback you can reach me on my social media handles at dr sanjay arora on linkedin and facebook and dr_sanjay arora on instagram 